Welcome to the Grappling We See exactly. Grappling Rewind Podcast. Welcome to this week on the Grappling Rewind Podcast. This week's show, we are going to recap the Who's Number One event, Felipe Pena versus late replacement Nick Rodriguez, also Pedro Marino versus Giancarlo Bodoni, including all the other matches on that card. We are also going to run through the event that happened in Japan, Unrivaled 2, that had some great matchups on it. We had Akenta Iwamoto on that. We had William Tackett on that. We had Tanabe and Jacob Couch on that. We're going to run through that event. We're also going to go through 1FC. They had two grappling matches this weekend. Uh, Danielle Kelly and Tommy Langacker were on that card. We're going to recap those matches. Also going to preview the IBJJF GP coming up, the Toro Cup, and the Black Widow Invitational coming up as well. As always in the show, I'm your host, Maine, to my co-host, Miranda. How you doing, Miranda? Uh, not too bad. How are you? Doing terrible. Uh, you probably hear my voice. Um, I've been I've been coughing for a couple of days, so we're deciding to do the show remote, so I hopefully don't get Miranda sick. Um, again, if the show takes a slight hit in audio quality, that's why. Apologies. Hopefully, uh, I'll get over this in the next couple of days, and next week the show will be back to normal, but... Some great matchups to talk about, so didn't want to delay the show. If I uh, if I suddenly lean away and have a coughing fit, that's why. Again, apologies, but should be a really there. There's some awesome matches this weekend. Um, it they, it was kind of a weekend that snuck up on me. I didn't realize that we had so many great matches when we were previewing because we kind of focused last week mostly on who's number one because it was Gordon versus Penna. Um, in let's talk about news now. Gordon Ryan pulled out with stomach issues. Um, there have been. Uh, it has been a very interesting week of watching social media uh, kind of uh, troll Gordon Ryan back. Um, the, I haven't watched a ton of it. <clears throat> all the yeah, the B-, B team stuff is hilarious. All the B team stuff and Craig Jones just like kind of having license to troll now that it seems like Gordon and B team and Nicky Rod aren't super amicable anymore. But um, overall, just a really interesting kind of week of watching. Uh, watching all of that go down, I, we're not really not a huge drama show here. You can probably listen to plenty of other podcasts that'll talk about that if that's your scene. We like to talk about the matches and sort of what happens on the mat, but overall, a really interesting dynamic change going from Gordon, whose last match with Penna was in August, and Gordon beats him kind of the day that his friend Leandro Lowe died, Penna's friend died, to this rematch. Nikki Rod, who just beat Penna in a very close ADCC match back in September of last year, so about five months ago, um, Nikki Rod got a pass for three points on Penna, and so the first match was pretty close, and this is not ADCC. Who's number one is not ADCC. It's a 30-minute timeline, and it's just decision and judging, and I think there was a bit of controversy in the, in the decision which I'm very happy about, not very happy about the controversy, uh, in the pre-show Miranda and I were talking and I think we have, I, I know we have different opinions on the decision of the match. So I'm super excited to talk about that. Before we do that, is there any news that we should talk about other than sort of Gordon pulling out with stomach issues? No, I don't think so. Yeah. That was that was all I remember from the week. That that was the news this week was everyone just giving him shit. Oh, yeah. Um, other news. Uh, Nick Rodriguez took a uh, a blood test like two weeks ago or something like that. To basically confirm yeah. that he is natty and not on steroids. Uh, those results should be back in a couple of days, we think. Uh, they're not out now, but the internet has found that very interesting. Um, you've you've heard many a year my thought on juicing in the sport we do, uh, as I'm here for the entertainment side of things. So when that comes out, we'll probably talk about it. But that's been, again, other news this week. 
Um, let's get into it. If, unless you have nothing else, let's just get into it. No, that's it. So Nick Rodriguez versus Felipe Pena 2 happened. So this is just a question. Yeah. So you, we all say Felipe Pena, huh? But they were calling him Philippe during the telecast. Yeah. Or the, whatever. What is do it you wa- Philippe or is it Philippe? That is a very good question, Miranda. This is something we. This is something usually in the pre-show that we talk about how we're gonna butcher someone's name the whole time. I forgot time. about this until I looked down at my yeah. notes and I have like a note that says "Do not put the e at the end," and I was like, "Okay." So in the outro of the show since like 2018, because we used to butcher names really bad when we were sort of like figuring out how to run the show and like we were kind of getting the lexicon of all the names, and there's still plenty of names that we have continued to butcher poorly over the years. If you have a name, you know how to pronounce someone's name that we're butchering shoot us a dm if you like the show share it with your friends really appreciate it um but i do we want to call him philippe penna or felipe penna because for like 10 years i've called him felipe penna okay then we'll just go by felipe penna why not but it could be philippe because i've heard him called for you're right i have heard him called philippe before not like he's a multiple time world champion and like that's what they were yeah that's what they were calling him on on the show and that's the only reason i even said anything he also changed his because i checked his instagram real quick to see if it's like he has anything said there and he also changed it to uh making people walk away from fights with diarrhea that's his god good for him man part of his little like his bio is now trolling his bio on instagram currently because I wanted to see if it if it said anything. Because he's like the sloth or something like that. Like his Brazilian nickname yeah, translates to so. like sloth. Anyway. So, Pena versus Rodriguez. We knew how the first match went at ADCC. It was, uh, there was a lot of hype. Again, we didn't really know. There was always a potential for that match to happen. Um, but it happened at ADCC. Nick Rodriguez took it over Pena. Knocking Pena out of contention for the championship at that bracket. Uh, he was then Gordon, sorry. Nick Rod would go on to fight Gordon, lose to Gordon in the finals of ADCC, um, and that was the division at plus 99. Rematch happens, and we know that, Pena, we, again, if you want to hear the kind of lead up to all of this, we talked about it at pretty great length last week of all the changes that Pena has made. Because at the time, Rodriguez was not in, he wasn't in this matchup, we didn't really, we didn't talk about Nick Rodriguez at all, because we didn't talk about it much. Nick Rodriguez has also made a bunch of significant changes even since those five months of ADCC. We've seen him on EDI. We've seen him compete a couple of times and look very good. And Miranda and I also listen to his podcast, the Simple Man podcast, and they're talking yeah. about like he actually is doing jujitsu now versus yeah, he is learning. He's learning jujitsu. Being a wrestler that had a knee cut and like a cartwheel pass and a rear naked choke, like he actually is learning how to body lock and how to do a bunch of other jujitsu. And in this matchup, uh, I think partly because like partly because of the confidence in the Gordon Ryan matchup, we saw him a couple of times go for the feet. So, it, but all this being said, Pena wins this match in a somewhat controversial decision. No sub happens, but there were a couple times in the match where you saw Nick Rodriguez like sit to guard and like looked like he was baiting Pena into coming out of his guard because Pena pulled pretty quickly. And that's sort of how Pena, like, there's no incentive in who's number one for a lot of the matches. If you don't want to wrestle, to wrestle, like, you can just take bottom position at really no penalty. Yeah. And the, I mean, I guess the discussion here comes that both of us uh, 
kind of see this match a little bit differently on how it scored. Um, and I'll go into what my thoughts are first. Do you want to break down the match first are... or just do the decision thoughts? Well, I think that however, I think the decision, do... maybe the decision thoughts will kind of give us context. So you kind of talk okay. about your, cause you think, you think Pena won and I think Rodriguez yeah. won. And I think we're both like pretty happy with our, you know, our thoughts of why I think you give your, you give your thoughts on kind of your reasoning for seeing that for Pena and I'll give my thoughts for seeing it for Rodriguez, and then we can kind of go from there and talk about some other moments in the match. Okay. So my thoughts on why uh, Pena won, which if anybody knows me knows that I am not, I normally go for Nikki Rod when I think Nikki Rod, well, I normally go for Nikki Rod, but anyway. Yeah, you do actually. Um, Usually an underdog pick yeah. unless it comes to Nikki Rod. Yeah. Well, and I like I like Nikki Rod. Um, the first half, like, so I thought of it as the same way that they do the whole, like, they come in and they give the, the ref's decision at or the judge's favor or whatever corner. And if you think about it like that, you think about, like, the first, like, chunk of time, which is, I guess, the first 10 minutes. Yeah, the 30-minute match, the first 10 minutes. The first, yeah, 10 minutes is kind of Nikki Rod trying to pass Pena and trying and trying and trying. And then there's, like... A little bit of an attempt by Pena to go to, like, deep half to a leg lock. Doesn't really work. He goes back to guard. And the judges start favoring Nicky Rod because of his passing, because of his dominance passing and how imposing he is. But then I think at that point is when Pena kind of picks up. And Pena starts trying, I mean, not deep subs, but sub attempts. He starts the progression of a sub attempt. Like, one time... He uh, tries it on the plata um, from the body lock, which seems to work. And then he tries that, and then he comes back to his guard. And then the second time, he attempts uh, to roll under like the deep half to leg lock like he did begin before, but he actually gets in. Nikki counters to that, which is a knee bar, but then Pena almost gets to his back at that point. Nikki gets out, and he gets up. Penna tries to take him down, but he gets out and Penna sits again. And it's these initiations that start at that point where you have Penna initiating attack. You have Nikki countering, but then you have Penna re-attacking after that. And then Penna getting back to the position that he was originally at. So you're, so you're so seeing this whole sequence is kind get, of summarized. You're seeing even though that like maybe I mean, Ryan has something done. Yeah. Even though Nikki's doing something... And Penna isn't really advancing because he's not going from guard to, like, a more dominant position. But he is still attacking, 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 and then coming back to his, like, comfy spot. And he keeps on doing that. And he has, like, a guillotine. He he has a lot of... He kind of starts spamming things. If that's the, the only way to really explain it. Yeah. None of them are super... I mean... Maybe there's a couple that are kind of in trouble, when but we talk like about, when we talk about time. submissions for like fight to win, and I think for who's number one, and I mean the, the who's number one criteria is definitely a lot less defined. A submission yeah. attempt is you do something to someone that requires them to defend it, whether or not it's yeah. like a rear naked choke with all the arms in and you're squeezing. Versus, like, here, Pena has a guillotine, Rodriguez kind of has to posture up and pull out. Like, those are both submissions that require defense. And then you get into the gray area of, like, the amount of well, defense it required, and, and then, that's where it gets you know, hard to judge. 
And then, yeah, and it, it gets kind of complicated because, like, Penna gets a guillotine on Nikki Rod at one point, and Nikki Rod, like, stands up to get out of it. Now, was that Nikki Rod trying to show that he has the ability to power out of something like that and trying to show his, you know, amazingness of being able to, like, stand up with this ginormous man attacking his head? Or was it that he had to actually stand up to get out of it because yeah. it was that tight? Or was he trying you to know? pass? Like, it's, it's one of those things that yeah. only the athlete there knows, and you have to make a judged decision off of, like, okay, is that solely defense or is that, like to show something or is that like you the intention is kind of lost because you're not the athlete there on the mat doing the thing yeah and at the end it gets it gets a little more you know complex at the end as they do start kind of going back and forth with attempts um and i thought it also interesting that uh nikki rob was trying to pass to both the left and the right both times yeah that was uh, neat. normally people try one side and have one kind of way they go and he did like stand up he was making changes so i wouldn't like normally i would bitch about somebody trying the same thing over and over again and not getting anywhere with it and it what and he did get past his guard now when he would get past penna's guard penna would invert and get his guard back which is amazing by the way to watch penna do that in real time was like all of the work nikki rod did to body lock and then penna would just go oh you're past i better like push away turn invert back to guard you're like that is must be the the most frustrating thing ever and the thing is i do that but i'm also like a 135 pound woman that's like stretchy yeah like and bendy and like to to see a man of that size be able to do that well yeah and just like invert and get it back like it's just not something i I watched i watched this match with rachel and that is the same comment she had about me she goes yeah she goes that's what it's like passing you because you do the same shit i was like yeah i'm a (laughs) hundred pounds smaller than penna she goes yeah it's super frustrating it's the same shit i know how nikki rod feels (laughs) and i was like probably not like we're not at that level but it was still a very funny like realization to watch again watch a guy like penna at his size be able yeah. to recover on a guy like Nicky Rod that with that forward pressure, technically, that I think was the most interesting thing in the match is that Penna's ability to just kind of comfortably roll through, make enough space, get his knees back in, get his guard back, is a textbook of like how to do that against a body lock passer at that level. Because we yeah. saw we saw Nicky Rod body pass body lock pass Yuri Samos like. We've seen him do it to a bunch of good guys now. We know he must have got there on Gordon. Yeah. You know, like we know oh, it's a high level pass for him and for Penna to be able to sort of, I wouldn't say easily, but it looks to be fairly comfortably be able to just like, oh, I kind of got passed back, invert, guard, and we're done. Well, I think the other the other thing he kept on doing was he wouldn't let him get to like a full like butterfly, like both, both his arms over his le- like roddy lock position like when he puts both when he has you in butterfly with both of his arms over like whenever he got to that position he would try on the plotter or you would try to do something to kind of get out of that position because for a lot of the match he was in like a like a z guard but like almost like a low knee shield yeah which normally like i wouldn't think would be a good thing but from that position he would control the far arm from where his like the opposite side of his guard i don't know how to explain that but like if your if your z lock is on the left side you control like their left whatever you know what i mean yeah you control the same side of the the arm on the other other side or the other side of the arm 
Yeah. 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 So it and he was, was doing that. that. And by Rodriguez, doing that, he was able. Yeah. You sorry, we're we're in Skype here, so it's so it's those, yeah. those like a delay, and we have to. I'm trying to talk over. Um, you no, say your you say your piece, and then I'll I'll give my piece. Okay, my la- my my piece was that it showed that he, by controlling that far arm, kind of wouldn't allow him to get into that Roddy Lock yes. position, and without him allowing him into that position, he couldn't really pass from that position. Yeah. Now he did. But he didn't do it very often. He did it maybe once or twice. I think he did it like two times in the match that were like, oh, that is really close to being a settled pass. Yeah. And there was a yeah. third time that was like it kind of got there but never really like made made anything yeah. with it. Um, so that so and then at the end, we had that really tight leg lock heel hook attempt by Rodriguez that Pennant defends and gets out of. Takes a lot of defense, but doesn't tap defense. And so yeah. you kind of went, yeah, that's it's a it's a makes it a lot closer of a match for you. But then again, you you kind of looked at the aggregate, the first two periods of the match, one for Pena, well, one for Nick Rodriguez. Yeah, and I then, for, I mean, I think Pena won the second two halves. Yeah, again, aside from that one moment. So on yeah. on my end, I am looking at so that is that's kind of that's where that's kind of what your understanding of the scoring criteria. So you went, yeah, Pena won that. My understanding of the scoring criteria here, and I think this is a problem innately about who's number one, is we don't, the criteria for winning is super, is not really well explained on the broadcast, and how you win a decision consistently, like, is just kind of, seems to be subjective or not known. We can get into kind of some of the political thoughts about what the decision was made, but I saw very very even like exchanges where it's like you had you had Penn on the guard electing to play from the guard being unable to sweep Rodriguez countering the passing attempts for the majority of the match he had a couple good moments but Rodriguez had equally good moments where he was almost passing Penna almost took the back almost worked for leg lock and he had a couple exchanges and so all of those in my eyes were very even exchanges with maybe the edge to Pena in some areas, maybe the edge to Rodriguez. Like you can make an argument that you know if if that la- for me at least if that last exchange doesn't happen for either guy. My thought was because submission criteria is a thing in who's number one. That one really tight submission attempt on the heel hook that Nick Rodriguez had. He had kind of two. Uh, he had one earlier in the match. And he had one late in the match that kind of really, you saw him like grimace and you saw the foot turn and spin. and It looked really uncomfortable. That for me was the deciding factor of like, well, if it's close and even if it's like not that close, you have one overwhelmingly tight submission attempt that looked really, really deep. Does in, in my eyes, that would give it to Rodriguez. But to your point, Pena had a couple of smaller sub attempts throughout the match like where do those play in if you're looking at all sub attempts that require defense well Pena had the omoplata he had the guillotine the other guillotine the kind of the calf slicer he had a couple of things as well and Rodriguez had a couple of near passes and two kind of deep heel hooks one very deep heel hook and so it's in hindsight it's a lot closer I think than I gave it credit for Whereas after a 30-minute match, if the last big moment I saw was Nick Rodriguez almost submitting Pena with a leg lock after injuring Gordon Ryan, you know, a couple of weeks before, 
in my eyes, that kind of put it firmly in Nick Rodriguez's camp. And I think the majority of people in the arena and a lot of other folks that I like comments I've seen push towards that. But I think you bring up a lot of really, really good points for because the judging criteria isn't super well defined and super well understood. If you're counting all submission attempts like at a certain criteria, that can be a lot closer or go go pen as way very easily depending on what your criteria is are you looking at initiation are you looking at submission attempts are you looking at control like how do you factor those all in and it's not really well defined i also i don't know if i agree that penna was trying to sweep nikki i don't think he was at all i don't think he was at all like you and maybe it was just how you said what you said but at some point when you were explaining your your side you said like sweeps and I don't think Penna was at any point trying to sweep him. If he went into like a deep half position, he yeah. was, and he I, was and going into the legs from that position. He wasn't really me, trying to sweep him. That's I think for me, that's also part of the problem is that you have a guy that elects to take bottom. That's really kind of playing a more defensive game, only kind of looking for situational subs off of the offense of the top player. And then not looking to but get on top that, or dominate himself. Isn't that what I always bitch about in jiu-jitsu normally? Like, in all the, I think in all of our past podcasts, I've always bitched about, like, the the party on the bottom winning for, like, yeah. playing guard and, and that, playing and that's, guard. Always, that's my problem with this match as well, is that yeah. Penna, for me at least, it didn't look like Penna was actively looking to improve his position. And, like, he was trying to counter what Rodriguez was doing. And he was having success with that many times, but he wasn't looking to turn Rodriguez over, like really looking to aggressively take the back. He was he was forcing Rodriguez to be more aggressive on top after electing to take the bottom position. It's, it's one of the issues we've talked about kind of longstanding with jujitsu rules is that, and I think ADCC does this really well, is that there needs to be equal onus for people in both positions to be active and aggressive. And my problem was, and at least it may not be a criteria for who's number one, is that Penna didn't have a huge level of aggressiveness on the bottom looking to either submit or improve his position to top or to like get Nick Rodriguez in a bad spot. And that was, I think, part also of my problem is that you're then punishing Nick Rodriguez for trying things and being one of the only guys that, you know, is actively looking to do that and then being countered and it, you get into a slippy that, and that's my point you get into it, a tough argument it's, it's tough to like is that a better or worse way to play jujitsu like well if you're trying if the guy's trying and he's going to fall right into a thing i'm doing then i'm going to let him do that and then counter yeah. him and that's a that's an equally valid strategy and so i think i think in talking about this with you in the pre-show and right now i think there's more of an issue of we just don't understand the definitive criteria for how the judging works for who's number one, which lets us kind of lead into like, well, I don't really know what they're looking for. So in matches like this, it's very easy to kind of put our own criteria on it and go, yeah, I understand how they got to the decision. And you're probably, you know, more correct because obviously, because Penna won, you can also go conspiracy route here and go, well, if Penna loses, then you lose a lot of the interest for the Gordon match. Because then they want to have Rodriguez versus Gordon. And is there an exclusivity thing with that or five pass? And there's a bunch of other questions that kind of come into play where it's like, was he given the nod in a close match? 
to continue to set up that Gordon match or, you know, did he win by the criteria? Which I think nowadays it's always uh, it's always sort of a question we have in the back of our minds. But yeah. overall, it was a fun match. I would have personally... Do you have any, any more thoughts on the match or the technique that you saw? I thought it was kind of hilarious that they kept on wiping him down with uh, paper towels. Oh, yeah, they did. It was like what, three. <laughs> I also love that they got a water break 15 minutes in, and I went, yeah. it's a 30-minute match. They're two big guys. I'm kind of okay with that. Like, I'm kind of okay yeah, with... I don't, I don't think it was. A, I don't really think it was a water break. They didn't I get think a water just, break, but they both, like, they both went to the side there to get wiped down and both got a drink of water because I think... I yeah. who did it first. I think Rodriguez did it first, and Penta went, well, he gets water, yeah, I, I get think, water, too. And yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate yeah. at the top level the guys like massaging the rules in those moments to go to work for their ba- like the guys doing everything they can do to win. It's again one of the reasons I like Wagner so much is like dude does everything he can do in and out of the scope of the rules to win. Um, and I appreciate athletes taking that to you know to the extreme there. If you can get a drink of water and no one's gonna stop you, hey, I, st- I drank the water. Well, the other guy gets water too. Cool, I got the yeah, water drink. They- what are they I mean, do? what are they going to do about it? Yeah, I think it was just funny. I think I do think it highlights that 30-minute match. I don't – I we talked about this on the pre-show as well. Personally, I would much rather see a six-minute match that is at high pace with no sub versus a 30-minute match with a sub at the 27-minute mark most of the time. I agree. Like, I just think the 30-minute match is too it's long. A long. It's, it's a, too long. It's, it's a long time to keep interest. Um, even, like – fights like ufc fights a title fight is 25 minutes with a minute break between rounds like it gives separation during the fight and it gives you kind of something like distinct pieces to watch you pay attention for five minutes there's a round there's a minute break you discuss with your buddies about what happened in the round like oh that happened how they're gonna come out in this round is he won that round he lost that round and then you come back in and you get to watch a new fight with grappling again you having rounds i think is dumb and I'm I, I'm happy that a lot of organizations decide that and don't do that, but a 30 minute match is a really really long match, and I think that for almost all professional matches it is too long. Even in ADCC, like the finals are are a 10 minute period, no points, 10 minute period points where it's like you have separation in the type of action occurring, and then you have the optional overtime, which is a new. Like, again, a new set of rules there in the overtime in the finals. I think that works a lot better, and that's a place where I'm happy to have a 30-minute match possibly every two years at those stakes. But regularly having 30-minute matches I just think is too long. I would love to see them brought back to, like, you know, honestly, 7 to 10 minutes. Yeah. So. I agree. It was fun. Again, I enjoyed it. I don't want to complain too I don't want to complain too much about the match. Very happy we got it. Very happy we got Rodriguez to come in late replacement no notice to fight Pena he performed amazingly for like again for what three days notice to fight Fude Pena he performed better than I think anyone else unless you pulled Duarte there who is in his corner you know very few guys are gonna are gonna look that good against Fude Pena on three days notice like can't you know can't give guys enough credit for keeping the main event on as much as they could and putting on a show I just would love to see it in a shorter format because I think we'd get a higher paced, more interesting match from both guys. I agree. So those are my thoughts. Uh, move, move on to the co-main event. Yep. Before I get into a coughing fit here. 
there was there was two co-main events. This was another one where they, they gave us two co-mains, which I didn't understand how you have two co-mains for an event, but whatever. Well, you have the, the because, main, you have the co-main and the co-co-main. Yeah, but they didn't call it a co-co-main. They call them both co-mains, which I was like, what the, it maybe it's a money thing. I don't know. Anyway, no idea. It might be a money thing. I think you only need. I think you only need one co-main event. I, that's kind of what then a co-main. Co. That, co means two. That's kind of what a co-main <laughs> event means. So I'm gonna talk about Pedro Mourinho versus Giancarlo Bodoni. Pedro Mourinho takes this, um, I think, pretty convincingly. So this is one I didn't have a whole lot of. I don't think anyone had an issue with. So Pedro previously has a win over Giancarlo uh, via guillotine, uh, IBGGF 2021. I think it like a smaller IBGGF, not a major. Um, and we it talked about it on the pre-show, or sorry, on last week's show. Be a second. Be a second. Yeah. It was. It was a win. He is a win at Orlando Open in 2021, but it's not a guillotine. It's a it's a win. It's a point win. It's not a guillotine. I thought, huh? No, it's a point win. I thought when I, I looked I it up last that. week, the record said it was a guillotine win. I watched it at the same time as I watched the other. I watched both matches at the same time, and it was like watching the same match twice. Yeah. And they that's kind of what we thought was, would happen. Thing. I'm not sure. We kind of changed the narrative for this a little bit last week when we were recording it um, with Simon, kind of the pre-show versus this show. I'm not sure. I'm not. I don't remember offhand which version made it into the show. Um, this is a Pedro Mourinho match. Like, if you can't stop his wrestling, you're gonna have a bad time. He's gonna take you down, and that's what he does here to Bodoni. And he kind of makes a statement. I want to talk about the leg kicks at the end of the segment. <laughs> okay. Um, and then he forces you to play guard on him at this really weird range that no one can ever play effectively. It's like he plays at a range where it's not far enough away where you it's too far to be able to wrestle up on him, but it's also you can't wrestle up because of his guillotine because he'll choke the shit out of you and he's so good at it. You also can't really get under him to leg lock him. You can't really load him to sweep him. But if you overcommit to try to load him up, you give him the pass. And so he plays at this amazingly, frustratingly hard range once he gets you down. And if you stand back up again, he will take you down again. And that's sort of what we saw in this match. And Giancarlo just, again, looked much bigger than he looked at ADCC, but just couldn't deal with the speed and explosiveness and aggressiveness of Pedro Mourinho on the feet. And it was just a really interesting dynamic of like, oh yeah, if you can't deal with Mourinho and the speed he has on the feet and his just like unabashed willingness to take you down and kick you, then he's going to force you into this really weird range that is almost impossible to get out of. And, And again, it looked like a Pedro Marino match. What were your thoughts? No, I, I I agree. And as I look at it, at least, what's it called? Flo says it was won by guillotine, but I watched this match and I almost positive it didn't win by guillotine, but I could be wrong. Okay. But anyway, it was the same sort of thing. Um, Pedro has a like a blast double that is just kind of a ridiculousness blast double. Yeah. Like, it, you can't really stop it because it's, like, his entire body coming at your chest. Well, and You, you just have can't to do sprawl to the side on it and, like, ride him or, like, ride yeah. your chest on his back. But he shoots it so high on you that you're, like, you're sprawling into, like, his shoulders. And then he yeah. just runs you down. And 
again, I assume that wrestling has a technique that stops this, but like jujitsu at the at the range, and again, both guys play. Both Pedro and Giancarlo definitely have a higher stance in this match than they would in wrestling because both guys have a great you know front headlock and guillotine game. So you don't want to, you can't play that low because Pedro will snap you down and take your neck off. So Giancarlo plays higher, but that opens up this blast double that Pedro is so good at. Like he has two things that work in such great combination. I really don't think I've given Pedro the credit he deserves. We've given him a lot of credit on the show. But giving him the credit he deserves for the couple of things, that the combination of techniques that he has that make him so dangerous. You can't stand low on him because he'll snap you down and guillotine you. You have to stand higher as a result because you don't want to get submitted. And he can blast you off your feet because he's just going to run you out of bounds. Or he's going to switch to like a single or a double off of that run out. Yeah, and he just kicks the shit out of your legs. Yeah, I I I think one of those kicks should have been called. Um, I think we're moving that way in grappling right now where it's like one of those kicks was like mid-calf on Bodoni. Yeah. And I think that like that is that is fine if the guy falls over. But as soon as you hit a guy like that with the foot and he doesn't fall over, like it's a kick. And then we move into yeah. this. We move out of the gray area where it's like he falls over. It's a sweep because his leg moved. But if your foot bounces off his leg – it's not a sweep anymore. I think if you're hitting above the ankles um, in mid-calf there, I think that's a kick. I think that to do a foot sweep, we all kind of agree that, like, you need to be on the foot. It's not a leg kick. You, you, you can't – You're yes, you can knock a guy over kicking his leg. You're not grappling at that point. You're striking. It's not a striking sport. So I, I actually did take a little bit of issue with kind of the lack of call on it. Um, that being said, I was bringing this up in the Pena Rodriguez match with like Pena posting on Rodriguez's face and like in areas that you're not allowed to post on, neither guy had a problem with it. I do appreciate the ref not stepping in there with neither guy having a problem with it and interfering with the match. So it's like, it does go both ways at the super high level like this. I do appreciate refs not stepping in in an unneeded way if an athlete doesn't balk at it. Like, I think if Giancarlo looks at the ref, if you get kicked, then the ref should intervene. But if those guys are cool with it, then, like, as a fan, I kind of want to let them work and what they're okay with. But we're moving towards the leg kicks that people are doing. We saw it on Subversive as well. Like, people are kicking the front yeah. leg, and it's not a it's not a takedown. It's not being used as a takedown. It's being used as a leg kick, and it's like... Yeah, it was the, the Atos... Um, yeah, female the heavyweight Rafael yeah. Geddes. Yeah, yeah, we saw it subversive. Like we're just we're seeing it used as a leg kick now, and I just think it's gone a little. We, we, it's gone a little far, and yes, it is a valid technique to knock someone over with, but like, so is a hook. Like you can so, knock you can knock someone over with that. It, it's not we're not grappling at that point. And the the argument there is Pedro did, I believe, foot sweep him twice. Uh, at once least at the very twice. end. Yeah, once at the very end, and it was quite like just to put a fucking stamp on it at the end. Like he yeah. did that to do it in front of you to show you that he could still do it at will, and that was the most gangster moment of the match. 
where Bodoni stands up because he has to, because he's been forced down by Pedro. He's been forced to play into the guard. He can't get to the legs. He can't wrestle up. He can't, like, get much going on Pedro. So he stands up to try to take Pedro down to get one for his own, and Pedro chops him down again. And I went, oof, that is that is a rough way to lose a match. So my so I have a black belt at a gym I train at that does this shit to me all the time. So I, like, went deep diving into how to stop it. And I think he's, they, they both have a similar setup where they wait for a collar tie and they wait for you to counter to a collar tie and your counter, you kind of change your body weight from one leg to the other and they kick out the leg that you don't have your weight on anymore. They, they do, Uh it's a judo thing. You do it as they're shifting the weight. So that leg becomes light, but you're still, the center of mass is still over it, it but you're lifting up and changing. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a judoka that I train with that taught me how to do this, uh, probably five years ago at this point. And it's a technique that I've really, really, really leaned into, but he taught me how to do it the judo way, which is you're cupping with your, your foot and you're sweeping out at the ankle bone or at the foot itself. Actually, you slide your foot across the mat to do this. Pedro's doing it at the calf. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. you got to do what you do. But again, do. if you can knock him over, I think it's fine. If you're kicking the leg and not knocking him over, that's when there's an issue. And that's why I think there I think there needs to be a call because we're watching – we're seeing it. We saw it more this year and last year than every other year before. Guys just getting kicked in the leg. So, yeah. uh, again, super and, impressive performance from Pedro here. Yeah. And Pedro oh. did have a guillotine. It was at the very end of that match. Yeah. Because Bordoni shoots in for a double, and Mourinho just like guillotines yeah. the shit out of him. And so, uh, in the IBJJF match or this one? Yeah, in the IBJJF match. Yeah, and that's where so Pedro gets were- a lot of guys. Is late they shoot and he guillotines. That's how you got Jimenez as well. Like you have oh, to okay. do something, you have to get something going, and you shoot on Pedro, and he snaps it down into the guillotine. Kind of like Craig Jones, the same way. Like a lot of those really high level guillotine players will do that. They will force you into a wrestling exchange at the end of a match, and they will just guillotine you. So, but again, this was—I think this was an amazing performance for Pedro, and it really showed why his game is so hard to deal with, um, because he plays at that range. I think better than probably anyone else. Unfortunately, it can get a little stally, where it's like he's not really looking to pass. He's not really looking to do much after he takes you down, and I think that's where. The person that's up on the judges when that's announced should be the person that is then required to initiate the action for the next couple of minutes. <laughs> kind of like what ADCC does. Like the person up on points is the one that is required to continue to initiate the action. The person down is welcome to play defensive, but they're down. The person that's up has to keep going. And I think that's sort of the problem that happened here is that Mourinho took Bodoni down convincingly had no real incentive to continue to put, you know, any more pressure on him more than he had to and was able to force this sort of stalemate range and take the match. But, again, that's how you play it. That's how you win. Super impressive performance from Pedro. Um, I am curious to see what Bodoni takes away from this and what changes we see to his game because you know with the New Wave team that we're going to see changes to his game and they're going to figure out how to deal with that for Pedro. Any kind of other any closing thoughts on that? Nope, that's it. All right, let's move into the next one. 
Uh, we have Jonathan Gracie taking a decision win over Oliver Taza. Kind of went how we predicted it. Like, either Taza can get that knee bar or get the heel hook. Or he doesn't, and then Jonathan Gracie just shows us, like, how good his top game and his back work is. Yeah. And, and, and he, that was the and he kept on. Yeah, he kept on winning all the scrambles. Whenever there yeah. was any kind of crazy scramble, Jonatas kind of just took it to whatever position that he wanted to be in. Yeah. If it was, like, uh, guard on his back or if it was a top position. And then he was really good at just keeping Taza's kind of legs kind of separated, if that makes any sense. Because having control of his legs doesn't allow him to then invert under yeah. or do anything like he normally does. And that's what we've uh-huh. seen guys do to Taza is that if you can control one of those feet, or really control both feet, or yeah, a knee in both feet, you have to control both because yeah. one he'll invert on you and take your leg off. But John Gracie knew that and went, okay, I just have to control both these and then I can start passing and start working off that, close the space, prevent Taza from being able to invert, get on his shoulders, get underneath. And Taza initially had a really great entry that I thought it was kind of all over. And then Jonathan Gracie figured it out and sort of ran away with the match from there. Yeah, I agree. I also think Jonathan Gracie shaved his entire body for this match. He looked smooth. He looked very smooth. if you're going to fight Oliver Taza, like, I'm going to shave too because anything to be able to get me out of, like, knee bars and heel hooks that Taza throws up, um, it's been, that's good. Again, that's good tactics. Like, we know swimmers do it. If you're going to eliminate the friction with the hair, like take it off. You're a pro athlete. So yeah, I thought it was, yeah. uh, I thought it was an interesting decision. I, I picked up on the same thing and you mentioned it in the pre-show <laughs> and I was like, Hey, we probably did. Yeah. Um, no, they did a couple like, uh, close-ups and I was like, Oh, you have no hair on your body. And I didn't know if it was like, uh, I, I never paid attention to his body before. So if it was like a it preference was- thing or if it's like a thing for this match. Yeah, exactly. Neither would surprise me, but it definitely, I think it definitely played a factor in this match, especially with that first leg lock attempt from Taza. So, interesting. Um, I don't think I told it to gleam. Like, we were kind of curious about how the matchup was going to go with how much Nogi we've been seeing Jonathan Gracie do recently, which has not been a ton. Um, And he showed, like, yeah, doesn't matter how much I'm doing. I, you know, it's a rough stylistic matchup for Taza. And John Gracie showed us that, like, yeah, his Nogi game and his Gi game both work really functionally together and are pretty similar. So, yeah. uh, fun match. Again, I, I was happy to see it, but it, it kind of answered a lot of questions we had about John Gracie's Nogi game. And I think we'll I, not. We saw him win Worlds or Pans recently, so we knew he was very good. But yeah. Okay, and we move on to uh, JT Torres winning over Majid. This was a half. This was JT Torres half guard passing seminar. Uh, I'm going to show you how to grind pass the half guard with a high grip on the shoulder and a cross body grip, and then I'm going to do yeah. it for 13 minutes of this match, and then I'm going to take mount. I'm going to take some other positions. Majid's going to get back to the guard. But I'm just going to keep doing this pass and keep Majid here for the entirety of the match. Th- that was the match. It was it was a classic JT Torres performance. Um, then I feel like in the last minute, JT really turned it up too. 
Because yeah. in the last minute, when JT goes for the back, and then, you know, he tries... And then he does that arm bar from the back. Yeah. Where you just, like, take one of the arms and you kind of... I don't know. I don't know if it has an official name. It's, like, the arm bar from the back. I yeah. don't know. It was always... That's what I, that's what I we call it. Always... I call it arm bar from the back, because that's, like... Okay. Armor from the back. Well, it's it's, it's a specific armbar. You take that overhand grip. Yeah. You pass them down to your hip line. You throw your leg over, and then like that's. Majid had a really interesting defense to it, and it, so I had a, I had three separate people what, message to me head, to put his leg over. Yeah, but he did it in a way. So he had three people message me like I haven't seen that in a while, and I was like, oh yeah, uh, it's an it's a little guy thing, and it's an MMA thing. I was trying to think of, like, it's a thing you see MMA fighters do a ton because they don't really care in an armbar if they kick you in the face. So they throw that yeah. leg over to get there. And a lot of times in smaller fights, you'll see people stall out in this parallel position like these guys were yeah. in. And it's not a position we see a ton in, like, jiu-jitsu. But with MMA with the gloves, because it's hard to get your arm out there, it's something we see pretty frequently in, um, in MMA. And if you in Japan, right. there's you watch guys get knocked out with heel kicks from this position, getting out of arm bars. See, I wonder if that's why, because when people kept on saying it was a weird way to him, him to defend, to me it didn't seem weird at all. Yeah, because I've been, I mean, I remember my my first coaches telling me just to kick myself out of the arm yeah. bar. To it's kick a, it's an MMA defense. And if you kick her on the face, you kick her in the yeah, face. Yeah, it's an MMA kick. defense, and that's why I learned yeah. I learned that too. Where and it's that, like, yeah, man, they'll move their face sense. or they won't. Um, yeah. And then we do the softer sport now a little bit, which is jiu-jitsu, and I kind of appreciate not getting kicked in the face, you know, once a week, armbarring guys. But well, I mean, I, I was only, only told to do it during tournaments, not like to your friends. Yeah. But. Well, a lot of times you'll calf <laughs> in the gym. You'll calf them in the face, and you'll hit them in the face with their calf. Um, if you if you do this defense, it's again not. I don't do it a whole lot, um, but it was definitely it was very funny to get three separate text messages about this particular defense, and I was like. Why does that look so familiar? Because I had to think about like where I had seen it all the time, and it's an MMA thing. So again, it was it was as dominant a performance JT Torres can put on. He didn't sub Majid, which I think he wasn't really looking to do. He was looking to control and grind and win in dominant fashion, uh, and that's that's kind of how JT plays. If the opportunity to submit is there, he'll do it, but. I think JT Torres almost more than more than almost anyone else in grappling makes fewer mistakes than like anyone else. Like him and Gordon, like they just they're not guys that will typically do the wrong thing ever. They're just in the right position. They're grinding you over. Um, somebody texted me and they went, "If you can't out wrestle JT Torres, how do you beat him?" And I was like, I don't, I don't know, because he's not going to make a mistake in any position you put him in. He's not going to make a mistake. So how do you beat him? So I want to see him on more. Who's number one? I absolutely want to see him fighting for a title in who's number one, because that would give us an opportunity to see JT Torres hopefully more than like a handful of times a year. It would be great. You got any other thoughts? I think they, I think they made a comment that he's going to do more matches. Or that he's up to do more matches. They seemed they seemed to like imply that, but again, yeah. I, I hope that is actually the case because there's some really fun matches for JT. Like I want to see him. I want to see the Wagner match again. Like that match was awesome. I want to see the Wagner match versus JT Torres again. Okay. They're both in that who's number one kind of roster now. 
that first matchup fight to win, second matchup fight to win was phenomenal. And uh, I go, I come and implore anyone to go back and watch that match because it was basically a clinic in how to get in and out of 50-50 at the highest level between him and Wagner. And it was, it was crazy good. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, let's talk about, what's, what's the next one we're going to do? Next one is uh, Jasmine Hosha yep. versus uh, Bruce. Amanda Bruce. Amanda? Yep. Yeah. This was fun. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a fun match. I mean, they're both they're they're both very aggressive, and it went back and forth, back and forth until like the last two minutes. So then Rosha kind of did a knee cut pass that was like Bruce went after a footlock and kind of gave it her all in that footlock, and Rosha just like knee cuts past through her to north south, and that's kind of the the beginning of the end. Yeah. Um, Bruce then turtled, which I mean for. I mean, I guess for maybe an IBJJF standpoint, like in that situation, a turtle would be a good situation. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do there. Turtle, yeah, I don't know if a turtle is always the best situation if you're not worried about the points, you know? Like, but right. I turtle a lot, and I find that when I turtle a lot, I get my back taken. So it's not always the best position to put yourself into. But uh, Rosha capitalizes on that, and. Um, gets on top and then we had a discussion over exactly what this was so it's listed. Um, a lot of people are calling it a smother and you and i both I watched it and yeah. went i'm not sure that was a smother because rosha has her fist like it looks like yeah. a modified ezekiel like almost like when we talked about this on the pre-show a punch choke and yeah i know a punch choke I, so i call and we had some discussion on like what do you call a punch choke because i know a punch choke is basically it's like saying arm lock, like a Kimura, an Americana, an arm bar. Like those are all arm locks that just attack the arm and there's specific names for them. Like I know a punch choke to be any choke that you use your fist into their neck to get. Like you can do it from a loop choke position. You can do it from an Ezekiel position. You can do it from like a north-south position. You can do it from mount. Like any position, you can do it from the gi. If you pull the gi collar on one side and punch on the other yeah. side, like – those are See, all that was punch the, chokes. That the the holding the gi collar and punching their throat was always what I understood to be a punch yeah. choke. And then I even thought like my and maybe and I don't know if I'm like I was always taught Ezekiel's you could do with like a flat hand over or you could punch through. Yeah, and that was still Ezekiel. It's an Ezekiel. But, it's like a punch choke fist fist. I call it a fist choke a lot of times. Yeah. There's also like a diesel squeezo, which is kind of a variation of that in the gi. There's also a soup choke, which is more on the middle yeah. of the Adam's apple. There's all a bunch of different variations for yeah. kind of being mean with the choke. This one looked like it could have been a combination of like the smother and of the Ezekiel and the punch choke in at the same time. Like I would yeah. I would kind of be surprised if a man had tapped to a smother from that position, especially with the positioning of Rosha's hand. Um. So I I did like Rosha's post fight interview. She was like, "I'm not I'm not just Wagner Hosha's daughter. Like I'm 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 here and I'm here to stay." It was just yeah. it was cool to have her kind of take her take in the interview her own identity to be like, "Yeah, I'm not just Wagner Hosha's daughter. Like I'm here. Learn my name. It's important. I want to fight." I think it was Amanda Montero. Yeah, is who she called yeah. out. Like that's a dope matchup. I want to see that. She's like, "Look, I'll keep going through Atos people." All day, keep giving it to me. I was like, that is 
That is a way to manage your career. That's a, that's a matchup I'm now immediately engaged in seeing. Like, that's how you do a post-fight. Like, look, know my name. I'm not just Wagner Hosha's daughter. I want this person. And I'm like, that's how to do it. Wagner, you know, tutelaged well. So, impressive performance from Rocha there. Any other kind of final thoughts? Nope. All right. Next one. And we have Renee Souza getting an e-bar. Over Kieran oh, Kerchik. Kieran and kind of yeah. like... Again, we've talked about Renee's game planning in these matches. This is Renee's game plan. Like, he is very happy to work from bottom position, work out of bad positions for the entirety of the time, and then you will make a mistake, he will throw something up, and he will catch you. And that yeah. seems to be, and we kind of talked about it in the pre, in the in the preview last week of, like, his greatest weakness and his greatest strength. is like that he is very, very comfortable spending the entirety of the match in a bad spot, and then continuing to throw up stuff and work and, you know, throw from the bottom. And he hits an omoplata, then he's transitioned over to a really neat knee bar here on Kieran. And that's that's the match. You know? I also think I also think this might be the reason why his style might be like that is just being from the tenth planet world and doing a lot of sub only like doing yeah. only sub only for most of your career. Um, I mean, Renee does, like, he was at Worlds, I saw him at Worlds, I, I've seen him at other tournaments, but his style is probably seriously influenced by the fact that he grew up in that, yeah. um, You grew up in the sub-only scene, where it's like, it doesn't, the, how the regulation goes is not really that important, as long as you can punch up at the end of a match when you need to. Like, yeah. that is, and that's so much to really inform how he plays his jujitsu. Uh, I think that's a really, really good point. I, didn't, I hadn't really considered kind of the lineage of why that he would grapple like that, because it's not something we see typically from a lot of high-level guys, but he's found a lot of success with it, especially with matches like this. You know, it's like Kieran positionally did great the entire match, gets caught in Noma Plata, and then gets finished with a knee bar. Yeah. So it's, you know, it really yeah. makes it work. He does. And, and that is... That's the all the end. main card. We had two other undercard matches I just want to run through. Uh, Dominic uh, Magina wins a decision over Thailand Nguyen. And Stefan Martinez wins a decision over Carlon uh, Sabano as well. Oh, they also had a preview for the Daisy Fresh season that's coming out soon. And um, one of the guys that I train, I used to train, that promoted to Blue, uh, was down there for his break in december and he's in the trailer oh it's awesome yeah he's the kid that goes i'm from vietnam like that's that's the guy that's the guy that i trained with for four years something like that close to uh, probably three or four years um he just just graduated and moved and so it's been it was really cool to see him pop up and uh it was cool to talk to the club uh that i coach and like that he was in that and again you you'll be surprised where students end up and it's awesome to see him like appearing in that you know in documentary because now he is also in a flow documentary uh like we are and like i am and it's just like yep the grappling you found out the grappling community is pretty small and uh if you're in these rooms and you're you know you're engaged in the side of the sport you're going to end up there and it's just it's just cool to see more people we know uh ending up in these in these cool documentaries that flow is putting out they also put out a doc uh trailer for what they call it the boys from manaus yeah, or I think that's what like it was. That? That's, uh, I was about to say the same thing because it it was um, 
It's Fabricio Andre, Baby Shark, and um, Michael Gavau. Yeah. And it's those yeah, three yeah. guys coming up, and I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see that series. Like that looks it looks like an old like seventies or nineties like I keep saying like documentary. And it's filmed in that sort of like ambient way. Um it looks awesome. I'm super excited to watch that now because I'm, I'm a big yeah, fan of all three of those guys. And that those those previews again, that's flow. What you use your commercial time for is those kind of things that get me hype to watch the other content on your platform. I love it. Yeah, so. I agree. I agree. And they didn't and they didn't screw up big time this time doing advertisements in the middle of main events and shit. So yeah, no, I think that's good. I, I get- think. They look like they're making some changes, so I'm happy to see that. Again, the main event midnight time is too late. That for sure needs to be two hours earlier. Um, we should again. You should be finishing grappling main events by like ten thirty. Really, like yeah. that's like it's it's not. We're not UFC. We're not kickboxing. We're not. We're not other combat sports that can run that late. Like they have to finish earlier because people are going to bed and people are going to bed versus your, you know, people are going to bed during the biggest matches of the months and the years because they're just too late. Like Flo's not competing with anyone. They're not on broadcast television. They can run them whenever they want. Just run them earlier so that your audience isn't going to sleep during your main event of Pena and Rodriguez or Gordon and Pena or like all of these matchups. Like it's just... You guys run the time, just run it earlier. So those are my thoughts. I, I, I agree as I personally slept through both of those matches. Yeah, you, you, you said, like, I'm going to I bed. I slept through the board match and I slept through yeah. the most recent Because they're, just, they're just too late. I mean, I'm a really, like, late night person, I, so it's okay for me. But even then, some nights, like, I don't want to be up, like, watching kind of and doing analytical work like we do and, like, watching and thinking about kind of points and interest points for the matches at 1 a.m. Like, I want to have that done. At, I want to enjoy it at 1030. If they end at 1030, I can have people over to watch them. And we can talk about it, and enjoy it, and I can get people at the gym hyped. If I know it's going to end up at 1 a.m., I'm not going to have people over for it. I'm not going to hype it up at the gym. I'm not going to, like, try to build community around these matches because I know that there's it's going to be a thing that we all watch on replay. And that takes a ton of steam out of these kind of really great events. So... Speaking of events that were at great times, uh, let's move on to 1FC. Two matches to talk about on this card. Um, You want to talk about Danielle Kelly first, or we're going to run through kind of Tommy Langacker's really quick finish? We'll go through Tommy (laughs) Langacker's quick finish over, is it Ollie Kershev? You're going to be better at the name than I am. I'm going to say Ollie. I'm going to say Ollie Kershev. He was the Sambo gentleman that went against Cade Riotolo a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, so he's back to see Tommy Langacker. Uh And it was a, I mean, it was an under three minute match. I think it was like 220 or something like that. Real quick. Yeah. It was, it, it definitely, um, it was interesting or I found it, I found it hilarious that Tommy kept, that Tommy grabbed his legs and pulled him into the middle of the mat at one point. Yeah, because it's 1FC and it wasn't, it wasn't in the cage, it was in the ring. So they were doing, they were having resets for the grappling matches 
And Tommy went, I want no part of that. I'm just going to drag you back in to where I want us. Yeah. Which was funny. Um, and it wasn't like he capitalized on it. He didn't, like, pull him in and then, like, drop his legs and jump yeah. on him. Already. He didn't, like, we've seen guys do that. They leg drag in and they jump on it. But Tommy just kind of pulled him yeah. back in. Yeah. Um, and he gets he gets a heel hook. Yeah. Which none of us are really surprised about. Not re- It's really like the Sambo guys. You know that the twisting heel hooks, there's not heel hooks in Sambo. Or in, in certain variations of Sambo, those guys aren't as familiar with them. The defense isn't as good. We've seen it a lot at this point at 1FC. We've seen it in Quintet when they have Sambo Bros on. Like, the heel hooks are an area of weakness for that grappling sport. So they get heel hooked. And that's Tommy does that and, you know, sticks to the game plan and gets it done. I'm uh, curious. I'm curious if they switched it and they put it into Sambo rules with, like, the half. Was it a Kirka? Kirka, yeah. Is that what it is? If they... Put those on and, and switched it if it would change anything. I mean, the BJJ guys would get crushed, probably. Like that's, think so? I think that I think you'll have definitely more. You may have some more back and forth, but yeah. we've again, we've seen it jiu-jitsu and wrestling. Like whenever you mix two, one person does one sport, one person does the other sport, the whatever rule set is most close to the sport that one of the people does, they usually win. And then, so let's talk about the next match. Danielle Kelly versus I just had the name up. Do you have the name? Ayorka uh, Mayura? Yeah. Um Danielle Kelly Mayorka give me one more time the name cuz I actually don't I don't have it listed right now. I think it's Ayorka. Ayorka. So Mayura. Ayorka is a judoka, very evident from all the scarfold play. Danielle Kelly, jiu-jitsu player. Uh, and that was the ma- that was the dynamic of the match was Marika getting her into scarf hold. I think what four separate times. Yeah, this was a much. much tougher match for Danielle Kelly than I was expecting. Um, I think she was also much smaller too, and she kind of mentioned in her post fight interview, "Yeah, I'd love to fight someone my own size. I would love, you know, Kate has a belt, Ty has a belt, um, Mikey has a belt. Like, I want to fight for a belt, <laughs> which I think is very reasonable." Um, she fought through some adversity. I kind of talked on the pre-show um, about the front headlock, the, the, the scarfold position, where you have the head yeah. there and it's trapped. And Merka plays it like a judoka, not the modified way with the far side underhook, just with the front, just with the head, where you can fight for the arm on the other side. And it allows Daniel Kelly to kind of try to get the back. And this is something we see primarily in women's matches is that the front headlock the front headlock throws and the non-modified scarf hold is used a lot more than we see in men's matches and i think and i was kind of bringing this up on the pre-show and i was trying to figure out a way to kind of like bring it up in a way that would make sense i think it's because there's a lot more hair women have a lot more hair and it tends to get like trapped and stuck and you can't as easily just yank your head of the hole i think also men's upper bodies tend to be stronger and so a lot of times if you have a guy on your back and you just have control by the head a lot of guys can just kind of decide to yank their head out whereas there's a strength differential in the upper body for women may not be able as easily with the hair and the upper body strength to just choose to yank their head out so it makes that position a lot more viable um because daniel kelly is a phenomenal grappler and repeatedly in this match kept getting stuck 
in that scarf hold as the smaller player. And it was just, yeah, it was she, just really interesting. Yeah, and she goes into, like, after in her post-fight, she goes into saying that she knew that was going to happen. Yeah. And she was trying a, uh, a twister from that position, which yeah. is hilarious. I actually had, uh, I had somebody once tell me how to pull a twister from that position because that, like, scarf hold, that position is one of my most hated positions ever. So fun. I agree with you with women, like... You get stuck there, and if you have somebody who knows how to drop their hips into it, you, it you're stuck. Yeah. And and you're not moving until they want to let you out of that position. And especially if you um, fight, ever fight like a really good or a heavy judoka, they can just they can just you're here now, you live here, you exist in this space, uh, enjoy. I mean, look at Josh Barnett and Dean yeah. Lister. You just like he just crushes his neck from that position. You know, it's viable definitely. Yeah, it's um, it's a shit position. I hate. Danielle Kelly eventually is able to get out, make some hay, um, and is able to get on the back and like do a lot of work. And has, I think, for what the last almost two minutes of the match, a rear naked choke that she kind of fights in and out, in and out, in and out. And I think that was definitely a deciding factor because before that, it was back and forth. Kelly had some good moments, but Marika spent a lot of time with Danielle Kelly defending and trying to get to the back and trying to get to the twister on that scarf hold she she also was trying the uh i don't know i was i was always taught it was called the pillow v arm lock but the arm yeah. lock from the scarf hold yeah whatever that arm lock I, is we, called. we went back and forth a couple of months ago on this and we came to a yeah. determination and i've since forgot yeah i remember but yeah i remember pillow v is what you would call that i looked it up and it is called that um, yeah and i don't yeah it's anyway but yeah it, anyway she was trying that so at least she had and I mean, she did have more attempts initially yeah. until the the end sequence. And then Daniel Kelly end almost finishing her. Yeah, the end sequence is what won it for Daniel Kelly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, I want to see Kelly fight someone her own size and for a belt. I think she's earned it. Uh, she's put on some great performances in One FC. I'm happy to see her. You know, continue to put on fun matches like this. Props to her. She wants to fight for a belt. I want to see her fight for somewhat fight for a belt in her weight class. One FC has a bunch of grappling champions, and I'm very happy that they're putting you know two grappling matches on these big cards like this. This was a great card. I had a ton of fun watching this card. That headliner Lineker fight versus Andrade was yeah. was fire. I also watched the Friday night card. Oh, sorry, the Friday mid morning card, uh, the tie fight card in Lumpini Stadium. Okay. That was awesome too. That main event was a banger. Um, kind of an upset knockout in the second round after like a, oh, yeah. a first I round. Like I, it was again. One FC is killing it. I love watching One FC. It's been awesome. They can be able to cover them more and more on the show because it gives me an excuse to watch them more and more. Um, they're doing great stuff. I can't wait to go out and watch them in Denver, uh, in May. So that will be. I'm so excited for that card. I am. We were looking at extending our trip for like just to make it have do more stuff and have more fun in Denver. <laughs> nothing wrong with that yeah. I also think the difference in my because I just thought about like the fact that if you're listening to me right now you you feel like I uh, I talked kind of out, out of two sides of my mouth by saying that Danielle Kelly won that decision on her last progression where I said that Felipe Pino won because of an aggregate of his entire match and I but think the difference was yeah, and I think that also the difference in, that you said is that Danielle Kelly, when she got her back, she then maintained that control. 
And then she had the flurry of attempts while maintaining that control. And I think if the same thing would have happened with Nikki Rod, if Nikki Rod would have gotten Penna and then just started spamming him and Penna was unable to get out of that position and or respond in any way, then that might have switched my thoughts yeah. on that match. Again, it's 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 jujitsu judging and it's figuring out yeah. like one FC has a very, very defined criteria and it's basically it goes to the decision, it is the most number of legitimate catches and like the strength yeah. of those catches. Danielle Kelly had longer, much more sustained and stronger bites on the neck. I mean, a couple of those, I was impressed she didn't finish. You yeah, know, that I was, agree. and you have an, a nearly fight ending thing like that in 1FC. That is their scoring criteria, and it makes it very easy to call that match. So uh, that was 1FC. It was awesome. Go watch their cards. I wish that they would just put them all on Amazon Prime. And just like they have one on YouTube, one on Amazon Prime for the undercard. I just put them, put the one on YouTube, but also put it on Prime so that I can like find it in the same place. That would be super helpful. Yeah. I would also love the Prime matches to be broken up by match. That would be super helpful as well. Um, kind of like what Fight Pass does. I don't know if Prime has that ability, but I, if they continue to offer more and more live sports and fights and stuff like they are, that is something that's needed. It's also something that's needed for fight. So let's move on to the discussion of uh, Unrivaled 2. I think we talked about the first Unrivaled event when it happened. We might have only very briefly mentioned it, but this one is on Fight. It's on Fight Plus. Uh, We've talked about Fight Plus. They have more and more grappling cards. Fight to Win is on here. Unrivaled is on here. Um, I think 50 bucks a year. I think it's worth it. I bought it. I'm happy with it. For a couple cards like this, like, this is a, this was a banger card it was kind of weird because the big pro matches were at the middle of the card. So they had kind of undercard matches. Then they had these matches at about the two hour mark of this card. And then they had about what, four hours more of local matches or three hours more of local matches after. Um, Usually events kind of parted out, but those are kind of like dark matches. Commentary is great. Commentary did all of them. Um, Was super happy. Where do you want to start with this? Want to start with the main event and then go from there? Yeah, we'll go to the main event first and then we'll work back. William Tackett versus Kenta Iwamoto. Iwamoto. Uh, this was a banger. This was awesome. I will watch these guys face off every weekend forever. Uh, Tackett takes us on points. I love the unrivaled way they do the points. Negative two for a pull and then two points back and forth for either guy depending on what position's happening. It was good. I don't know what they told them in the back to have them put on a match like this. This was awesome. Well, I mean, both of them have uh, always had kind of high-intensity kind of crazy matches. Because wasn't William Tackett the one that had the match that went, like, a ridiculous amount of time on... um, No, that was his brother. That was Andrew. That was Andrew. Andrew has had the match... Andrew has had the crazy matches... He's with had the crazy matches. The Jits King match, and he uh, had the match with Damian Anderson at Trials. Like okay. Andrew's had the weirder, crazier matches. Tackett okay. has gotten have had some his his fair share of weird matches, like the Brown Belt Kumite, the Black Belt Kumite for um BJJ Fanatics. Like he's he's had his fair share of wild matches, but this match, I think this is already an early candidate for match of the year. This was fire for me. I enjoyed it. I was really surprised. So one thing we've leaned into Kenta is 
We know Kenta's good. He's a student of Shinya Aoki. He's been training a ton with B-Team. He won the Asian Trials for ADCC. Tackett won the West Coast Trials for ADCC. We've seen Kenta competing a ton. Tackett's been doing the same thing. We've always said that Kenta's wrestling was very, very good. I mean, he nearly beat JT Torres in ADCC because of his wrestling. In this match, Tackett takes him down. And I went, oh, right. Tackett's wrestling is also underratedly good as well. I don't know why I hadn't thought that was going to be a bigger factor in this matchup. I just, with how he looked, Kenta looked versus JT Torres, I've just put Kenta's like, oh yeah, he's unstoppable here. Yeah. Super impressed with Tackett's ability to take him down. And then both guys' willingness to just work for better position and roll through. And it was, I mean, it was a close match. It wasn't like one really took it away. Yeah. It was two points at the end for Tackett. I think it was, what, it was six and four or eight and six, something like that? It was eight and six. Yeah, eight and six. It was close. It was fun. Yeah, it was Uh, a fun match from the beginning to the end. Yeah, they trade back and forth. Again, it's, it's, uh, was it ten minutes for these guys? Yeah. I think this is a great length for a match. Again, uh, for something like this, it's good when you have two guys that are you know you're going to go for it the whole time. Again, I still think six or seven minutes is, is a better time, but I'm not mad at it for matches like these, especially when both guys put it all on the line like this. Um, great. They're, they're, again, it's 10 minutes of just consistent action back and forth. They go through leg locks. They go through top position. They go through some passing. They go through some guard work. They go through some sweeps. It's just really, yeah, really good jujitsu and then takedowns. And William takes his back at one point, right? Don't they exchange back? Don't uh, like William. I don't. Does he score on the back? I don't remember him scoring on the back. I don't think he. I don't think he gets both of his hooks yeah. in, but I, mean, I think he jumps it. Yeah, the, I mean the match and, ends with Kenta trying to take William's back and almost yeah. getting it as time expires. Like I don't think he was gonna get yeah. the hooks in, but it's like that gives you a framework for the match where it's like you have two guys that at points in the match had near-scoring back takes, and Kenta ends the match trying to score back points on Tackett for the win. Like, they did, they put on a great event. and I, I was super yeah. happy. Deservedly a main event. Um, Tackett takes it. Uh, Kenta had a match against um, younger Tackett, Andrew and, Tackett, at Nogi World Tackett. at Brownbound. You looked it up, and you found the match on the pre-show. Yeah. <laughs> I think Andrew took that match, but... That has to, yeah, but that has to play a factor. Yeah, yeah, but it was just two advantages. It wasn't like a yeah a crazy win. But it has to play a factor. Then I like, mean, it was a win. Let's say it that way. It yeah. was it was definitely the two of them attacking each other left and right. But it wasn't like one of them blowing the other one out, yeah. out of the water. Two advantages is pretty close. But you know, you know that having Andrew have art has already faced Kenta. You know that they were in camp. You know the Taka brothers talking about like you know where he was strong where they could take him you know that had to help a ton into this matchup but it was awesome you have fight go watch this match it's on fight plus um so it's 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 not it's free if you have if you pay for that service so it's not technically free but you know if you like grappling fight has a lot more to offer nowadays and so i've been pretty happy with the decision to buy fight plus um yeah next match you got anything else on that one miranda nope We'll move on to uh, Jacob Couch versus Igor Tanabe. Yeah, the Fat Ninja. Uh, Tanabe, I don't think he can call himself the Fat Ninja anymore because he lost a bunch of weight. He is big as shit now. And this was, I think he was bigger than Couch. I think he was too. And Couch, 
looked a little rounder than normal. Yeah, he did. Couch didn't look like as cut as he did. I, I, remember, I remember interviewing Couch at trials and at the ADCC yeah. Open, and like those are, those are the times I remember seeing Couch when he's like cut for ADCC tournament yeah. shape, like looking for that. I think right now he may yeah. be like out of like the craziest because he has to cut a bunch of weight for trials. Yeah, I'm so sure. that makes I'm sure sense. He's just. He looks he looks a little more round than this normal. is more of his walk around weight I'm guessing um, yeah. but Tanabe even then like looked out and also if you're giving up that much weight to Tana- that much size to Tanabe like I'm not gonna come in you know as small as I'm gonna come in as big as I can come in to deal with Tanabe uh, Igor Tanabe oh, yeah. he's a guy we've been talking about for since he was a purple belt we talked about his matches with Heisam Rita he had two matches with Heisam Rita on quintet He's been looking really good in the IBGF scene. We've talked about him a bit on the show, but I was super impressed with his performance here. They both decide to pull. They both take negative, negative two points for pulling. Back and forth. Match ends with Tanabe being able to take Couch's back and finish him belly down with a rear naked choke, which is something we knew Tanabe could do, but it is rare that we see ta- uh, that Couch finished it is rare that we see him controlled like this and finished. Yeah. I was very, very impressed with Tanabe um, in this match yeah, for like, like, being able to do that. He was finished by by Gordon, but that's the last time I really remember yeah, anybody really finishing, finishing Couch. And it's Gordon, and Gordon's giant, bigger. Yeah. Couch took that as a late replacement, I think. Yeah, definitely yeah. as a late replacement, and it's Gordon. But yeah. for for a guy like Tanabe to do it, it kind of it shows you the level that Tanabe is on, and I think there were some calls to actually put him on who's number one. Would love to see Igor Tanabe get on who's number one. I think he has. He can put on slower paced matches, but he can also put on matches like this, where like he goes tit for tat and back and forth with Couch, and then. I thought his passing looked good. I think, again, all the pieces of his game look like they're there. And I just want to see him showcased on more super fights, especially if he can put a performance like this over couch. I agree. And our last match that was, well, our, our three more main event matches. Yeah. The last of the three is uh, Andrew Tackett versus Marilo Takashi. Yeah, Takashi DeSouza. A uh, student of Roberto yeah. Satoshi. Uh, who is a guy we've been covering for years, very, very fun. He just fought uh, for the 1FC Bellator crossover, fought AJ McGee in a really close match. Roberto has, like, the best triangle setup. Somebody, I think one of the, maybe Jack Slack, somebody did a triangle study on him in MMA, Roberto Satoshi. Um, and it was awesome to watch, like, all his different triangle setups. But So this guy is a student of him. I'm not super familiar with him, but uh, Andrew Tackett looked... Great here. Takes Takashi down, yeah. controls him, uh, dominant top position work the entire time, and then eventually, sort of when he chooses to control more, goes far side Kimura, finishes far side Kimura. Takashi again looked good, put up a lot of good defense, you know, for the majority of the 10 minute match, but uh, Tackett was very much in control and up on points for the entirety of the match until the finish for the Kimura. Any sort of thoughts you got on it? Was it a Kimura? I saw it as an arm lock. I didn't see it as Kimura, but it probably was. Oh, you was. thought it was a straight arm bar? I don't know what it was. Yeah, I, it, could, it looked like I, that far I, side. I do, 
Yeah, I do like the random arm lock at that point because I'm like, I don't really know. Like, you're trying for one thing, but maybe you're getting something completely different. So I, there's a step over you can do here that I'm familiar with this as. It's basically like a far side Kimura from like the like if you're gonna do a mousetrap setup, the Kimura okay. armbar Americana setup. Um, you could also okay. step over to like a power Kimura over the head from this position if you step over to the mount. And uh, that's what it looked okay. like Andrew was setting up if he needed to. If he needed the torque, he could lift up and step over the body, but he didn't need the torque. So he could just do it step, do it without the step over. I like get what you're saying. Yeah, it makes sense. So again, dominant, uh, looked great. Very fun event. Very good commentary. I really, really enjoyed the commentary for this. They were super knowledgeable about all the guys. Um, I love it when the commentary starts immediately as they're walking out like gives you background on the guys and their camp and who they face like i think that all just helps build a narrative during an event i think they did a really really great job especially because i watched some of the other matches as well on the card i was unfamiliar with most of the japanese grapplers on the card i think it was it was a japanese event yeah um and i was very very happy with how knowledgeable the the uh, commentators commentators were i don't know who the commentators are but they seemed you know they were very, very good, and I would love to hear them do more events because, you know, they brought they brought a great level of knowledge to the event. So, and they also didn't, they also weren't like talking over, yeah, things. Like yeah, when they were commentary. providing all that information, they would provide it during a suitable time, and then when the match started, they would start commentating the actual match yes. rather than trying to talk about other things yeah. during the match. Which is great. You know, that's again how you fill your space on commentary. We do we do commentary, and that's one of the things that we try to do is not. I'm not trying to give additional information about the athlete during the match. I'm trying to talk about what they're doing, and that's what they did. Um, and there are times definitely to talk about the athlete if the match slows down a little bit, but I just thought they did a great job here. And again, we're getting better and better commentators in the sport, and it's as someone who watches a lot of jiu-jitsu, it is, uh, it is awesome that that is the case. So that does it for uh, what we're gonna, the main section of what we're going to recap. Miranda, we have a couple other events that happened this weekend yeah. that you have some results for. Yep, we had Finishers Combat 4. That was in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Uh, that was on Flow. Um, your two main event matches were uh, Sean Yadamaro uh, winning over uh, Kimoy Anderson. Um, and that was a uh, male... I have middleweight, but I think... Uh, I don't know if that's right. I'm not sure that's right. But, it's like, I, thought, I thought it was light heavy. I watched the interview with Sean after. Yeah. Because he was talking about it should have been a Molly I don't know. Yeah, he was talking about how he thought he won yeah. and should have uh, won over Kimoy and never went into OT. But then he won on ride time. Um, then Vanessa Griffin uh, beats uh, Trinity Pun uh, in ride time. But in that was time. three rounds of – three yeah. rides of – or three rounds of overtime. Yeah. Uh, so that was quite the match. Uh, so they were your two main event matches. Um, and then we had Fight to Win 222 in Houston, Texas. And we had Carlos Henriquez uh, defend or defeating uh, Vinicus Zani by decision. Yep. Game match um, too, that, which I like to see in the yeah, main events that there. Was, that was mostly more of a local um, Houston Texas yeah. card. Um, it was a lot of Texas talent on that card. Um, yep. Also and, on Fight TV if you have Fight Plus. Yep, also on Fight TV. Yep. And that was 
I believe most of what happened this weekend. That was, there's some other stuff as well, but we're we're already we're already getting into the weeds. Um, yeah. So yeah. let's move in. Let's <coughs> let's move into the preview section before while I can still talk. Um, not trying to run the show out, but I don't have much more. And and, and before <laughs> all the cough medicine takes over and you start like <sighs> losing your grip on society. Yeah, hopefully we get there in like a couple hours after I edit the show. Uh, moving on, we have next week on March 3rd, we have the IBJJF GP. We have the names for the men's GP. I think I have one of the names wrong, and you pulled the name of who it replaced. So Sam Nagai yeah. is out of the men's GP. Being, yeah, he's being replaced by Elijah Dorsey from uh, TLI. Yeah, and he's a really good new black belt. Um, we talked about him in the pre-show a little bit. Really excited to see what he does. He's got tough competition. He's got Jonathan Alves. Andy Murasaki and Carlos Henrique. Um, again, I'm not. Alves is amazing. He does not have my favorite style, but he's super hard to beat. If anyone can beat him, I think Murasaki beats him. I think this is Murasaki's to lose. Um, Alves is big, and with the new IBJJF GP rules, I'm curious to see how much that oh, affects Alves's game. The 50-50 rule comes into play. Yeah, and there's some other gripping rules as well. Like IBGGF for the GPs on flow have changed their rules to be, I think they're aiming at having the matches be a little faster paced. And that has been a big criticism we've had of Jonathan Alves on these GPs and on these tournaments um, is sort of the tactics that he employs to win on them. I'm curious to see how the GP rules will affect him specifically because he really caters his game to the way that the IBJJF in the majors is set up. So that'll be kind of a big, big kind of curiosity. I'm still going Marisaki. Dude's looked unstoppable. Go- He's looked amazing. Yeah, I'm going Marisaki. Uh, we don't have We don't have brackets yet, only for a person. Women's heavyweight, again, love that they're showcasing the women again. Uh, we have Anna Carolina Vieira, Natalia Jesus, the Jesus, uh, and Justice Intra, and Melissa Kuto. Um I'm going Vieira here. Yeah, I'm going Vieira too. But again, all three, these, all four of these women could take it. Super fights: Tynan Dauper versus Zaki Behentz. Thirty-minute special match. I assume this is in the gi. I assume that Tynan Dauper, and again, no disrespect to Zaki Behentz, amazing grappler. Uh, Tynan Dauper. There is not a person in no in gi at the weight that I will pick against him on. So yeah, that's my pick. It's, it's, it's just agree. I'm not going to pick against him. After that gator roll in the finals of Nogi, of like Nogi pans, or sorry, Gi pans, like I'm not, or Euros, wherever it was, Euros, I'm not picking against him. He is on another yeah. level right now, and until someone can stop him at the weight, I will not pick against him. Azak uh, Behance also has a crazy guillotine, always a factor. Uh, we have... We have <coughs> Rita Miranda, but a cough over here. <coughs> well, you're the you're the yeah. one with the super fights in front of you. We so. have Jana Libre versus Natalie Habero, and we also have Rolando Junior versus Francisco Lowe. Um, should be very fun matches. The Libre match versus Habero could go either way. I think they've met each other before. I don't remember how they've gone. Rolando Junior versus Francisco Lowe. Francisco Lowe is a guy. Like this is a this is a fun clash because both these guys will throw big yeah. subs at speed, 
And I hope this is the clash that I think it will be in the Gi. Yeah, I hope it's it, it should be fast paced because we know low for or I know low from the jump. Yeah, the, the over Taza. jumping triangle on Taza, but that was no Gi. It was a jumping yeah. triangle armbar on Taza. I think I think these are all Gi, but it doesn't yeah. say. But we know Milano Junior from all like all the gi. similar stuff too. He's primary. I mean, Milano is primarily a Gi player. So. so those should be fun. That's the IBJJF GP. Not a whole lot. We don't have anything. We don't have any brackets yet for those, but the super fights should be a lot of fun. We do know those. Uh, also, this next week, we have Toro Cup 24. A really, really good main event on this one. Yeah, the main event is Gianni Grippo versus Gabriel Souza. Um, it is, I'm almost positive it's Nogi, though I haven't seen it say that anyway um, i think it's they're using adcc because, rules probably no gi now yeah but they go back and forth they do adcc rules even in the gi yeah they do again it's one of the reasons i love toro cup yeah but my assumption is it's no gi because uh we know that gianni grippo has been switching over to no gi almost only yeah i don't know last time i've actually well, seen him compete and in souza is the no gi champion for toro cup Yes, true. So that so would that, make that sense makes, that it would be. But you looked it up. These guys have met a couple of times in the last three years in IBJJF. Yeah. Well, I Mostly think, in 2020 and 2021. But Souza took both of those, correct? All three. Oh, sorry, all three recently. So, again, uh, this is Souza's to lose. But, again, Grippo. This is one of those weird things with Johnny Grippo. He shows up. He can beat anyone in the world. But he can also podium and have a rough match in the finals. And that's kind of the history with Johnny Grippo in a lot of his Gi stuff. No Gi very frequently is the winner there. So we've seen some amazing performances from him. I do want to go Gabriel Souza here. I just think he kind of has the number. He has Grippo's number. In a super fight context, not an IBJJF, it wouldn't surprise me to have Grippo. Grippo has all the tools to win, but this is one of those I don't want to bet against the numbers and the odds of what we've seen recently. Again, their last match I, was what, 21? Yeah, hands 2021. 20, so it's been two years. So that's a long time, and Grippo's game has changed significantly. But again, so has Gabriel. So does his game. You know, he's sub Mikey in that time now. So I agree. So I mean, we've match. we've seen a lot of new stuff from Grippo in that time, um, and we've seen a lot of the same stuff from Sousa. So it'll be it'll be an interesting it, cla- it, not even clash. It'll just it'll be interesting because yeah. we know how it's basically going to go. Grippo's going to pull. Yeah. Gabriel Sousa's going to pass. Yeah. And that's going to be the game. Yeah. Um, and we'll see which one can actually you know start their game and and push what they want. Uh, what they want forward. So I'm excited it'll be it. it'll be interesting main event. Yeah. Uh, we also have uh, an event um, in Austin as well. Yeah, called the Black Widow Invitational. I randomly came across this. I don't even know how I came across this, but I did. Anyway, and it's uh, it seems to be a little more Austin specific, but it includes um, a couple uh, new wave people, um, Luke Griffith, that we have heard about um and that we've seen you know, he was on who's 
one, right? And he's been to ADCC and he won trials and he was an EBI and like the big, big, big South African man. Yeah, he's in their absolute Grand Prix. Um, And then they also have uh, a match for uh, Helena Cravar, which is the um, the young female that now is part of the new wave camp. Yeah. Always wears the the, the matching uh, top and bottom rash cards. Full yes, yeah. that's that's always the, that's always how we know her. I think she has the most tails. wins in pigtails. She has the most wins on fight to win history or most submission to fight to win history. Like that woman who is now at New Wave with John and Gordon and like I think who they're lining up to be their first female champ. So yeah. look it out for she, her. It says she has eighteen wins with fight to win. Is that it? Yeah, she had. Unless it's not updated, but that's what her thing says. So, Probably. so it's eighteen. It's a, it's a ton of wins on fight to win. So well, it, and I think they're mostly title defenses, which I mean yeah. might be her her thing might be title defenses for fight to win, not wins, but maybe with submissions. I think other people have more matches. More people She's like probably... Dom and Troy have more matches. I think Dan has Dan Dykeman has more matches now, but I think that I thought she well, had the she... most wins of everyone. Yeah, and I mean she has the most subs. Yeah, she subs everyone. I haven't she seen anybody, you know, besides her, besides ADCC yep. trials. I never saw her lose. Yeah, I'm trying to think, that's the only place I've ever seen her lose. Very, very good. So exciting, exciting to see her compete this next weekend. Um, is that all we got? Yeah, I think that's that's the three for next week, and yep, that so, is it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go hack up. Well, that's what, what do you what do you so what do you got going on this week? I I. I am going to go hack up a lung after this podcast. <laughs> I am I am working all week, and I'm going to go see Keith Gregorian. He's teaching a seminar on Sunday. Oh, that's awesome. That'll be fun. I'm going to go chill with Keith. It'll be fun. That's cool. He's got some really cool tech. He's got some really, really cool stuff he shows. So he's been put, putting out some good stuff on Instagram that I've, that I've seen. So it'll be cool. Come bring it back and, and tell me what you learned. Yeah. That it'll be, be fun. fun. Yeah. And besides that, just life. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing uh, – Zach and I are doing commentary this weekend at Copa, Virginia. So that's going okay. to be a lot of fun. Love doing commentary for, for that organization at Copa. So I'm uh, going to prep for that this week, try to like not speak as much as possible between now and the weekend so that my commentary voice is ready and I'm not like sniffling into a mic because that's always the worst. And I appreciate it if you made it this far on the show uh, dealing with me doing that. Tried to kind of pull away from the mic as much as I could. But – that is coming up this next weekend, and I'm really excited to do that. I always love doing commentary down in Virginia, uh, and this is one of the closer Virginia ones, so it's not as much of a drive for Zach and I. So that should be uh, should be a lot oh, of fun. Oh, you mean it's, it's not the it's not the Richmond hike it's that we the had Richmond to do hike the last time that you guys that I had to pull out morning of because I got COVID. Yeah, that you had to do, and you had that, to replace me morning of and compete. Yeah, no, compete it's closer. Tear my hamstring and off. Toy- yeah. You had a rough day. I had a rough day, so. <laughs> Yeah, so no, it's cl- it's closer this time. Yeah. So if you want to uh, hear me commentate, you can hear us on the Copa Virginia uh, YouTube page or Instagram. Uh, you hear Zach and I commentate, and Brandon and I commentate, or you know a bunch of the Grappling Grind folks over the years have commentated together for that organization, and we're doing it again. So uh, a lot of fun. Uh, anything else? No, I think that's it. All right, as always. Hopefully, we'll sh- maybe maybe we'll get some results for Nikki Rod's Natty thing Ooh, in the next few fun. days. That'll be fun. So. so. Anyway, awesome. that's it. That's all I got. As always in the show, I'm your host, Maid, to my co-host, Miranda. And we have the grappling run to see on the map. Whatever it is, stay safe.
If you like the show, please consider sharing it on Facebook with the folks at your gym. It's the best way that we grow the show and we really appreciate it. You can reach out to us on email. We also have Instagram. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. We have Google+. Plus. Until that shuts down. We have a website. If you have an event you would like to have us cover, please let us know. If you have a name, like most people do, and you'd like to have us stop butchering it, let us know. Reach out to us. The show is also available on YouTube, Spotify, in addition to iTunes and every other podcast service. We very much appreciate your time and thank you.